The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. It's all about the comedy today with a true legend, Andrew Dice Clay. That's right. Dice makes his Talk is Jericho debut and he delivers. Wow. What a great show this is. We may owe the Guns N' Roses reunion to Dice. There's a scoop for you. He tells the story of the small part he played in bringing Slash and Axel back together, which ultimately resulted in the band getting back together and touring. They just finished up their tour a few uh, weeks ago. He shares the story about how that friendship began back in the 90s when he originally opened for Guns N' Roses. He talks about what it was like now, 25-plus years later, opening for them again on their recent stadium tour. Dice tells the story about his lifetime ban from MTV in the early 90s and why Arsenio Hall had to tackle Dick Clark while Dice is on stage. You hear about Crazy Larry from Different Strokes and how Dice got the part, how it turned into two episodes that almost got him his own TV show. That was my first introduction to Dice. I couldn't wait to ask him that question. He also explains what the late, great Rodney Dangerfield did for him and many other young comics. Dice talks about comedy today and how the state of the world has impacted his set and how he develops his stand-up material. He talks about the arena tour he's got in the works, the new show he's working on, what he has in store for his big Los Angeles date at the Wiltern Theater next week, November 15th. Still a few tickets available for the show. Go to andrewdiceclay.com for all the information. Go see him if you can. He's so funny. He's great on this show, as you're about to hear right now. Andrew Dice Clay, right here on Talk is Jericho. I like when Dice comes on with the cigarette hanging out of the mouth. It's exactly what you'd expect. Yeah, but I don't, I don't, you know, I haven't smoked in years. You just like having it, uh, oral fixation? They give them to me when I do my concerts. So I'm just so used to it. Like I'll hold them at the same time as you would do anything. You know what I mean? Like you're on the phone, you'd smoke. You're talking to someone in the street, you smoke. After you eat, you smoke. So that's, you know, so I'm talking to you now. You actually help got, quit smoking by just having it in your hand. Yeah, and, and I'm not even tempted to light. You know, it's, it's a weird thing. Like, I, I quit in a day. You know, people, you know, try all these things, you know, with the patch, all the different ways, yeah, yeah, yeah. shots, and I just stopped. And I was a heavy smoker. Right. It was part of your act for years. You would light them between jokes. I, I hold it through the whole show. And now and then, you know, if the filter gets too wet, I flick it away. <laughs> and the audience 
yells like, like I'm going to light the place on fire. But it could be like after, you know, 30 minutes of being up there, I'll just like flick the cigarette. <laughs> and I'm like, it's not lit. Take it easy. It gets the biggest reaction, if though. You don't see any smoke. You know, <laughs> but that's part of the, of the whole character of, of Dice Clay, though. It's it's part of me. You know what? It's just part of my whole. I don't even know what to call it anymore. A character, a stage persona, a gimmick. I mean, I dress like this for real. Like I don't even know what's real or not anymore. Well, they always say in, in pro wrestling that the best characters are your real personality just turned up. To the highest volume. You know what? I would think that's the same with you. Yeah, it, it's almost becoming a cartoon of yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, at, at least, you know, when I took off 35 years ago, Dice on stage was very robotic. Like, how you doing, Chris? <laughs> oh, that's what it was back then. Now it's more like the way I'm talking to you, yet the material still, you know, it kills. You know, I take a lot of pride in the material that I do. But that's also kind of an evolution of a character, especially if you're going to play, you know, the, the character for 35 years. It can't be the same one as it was when you first started, or else it wouldn't be relevant today. Well, also, you get better at what you do. You don't really think about, you know, I got to be more animated, mm -hmm. you know, and, and your life changes and like, Years ago, like, Dice was never, like, self-deprecating in any way. Mm -hmm. But now I am because, you know, you know, just from the demographics, and I, I have a huge span of it, but a lot of it is that 34 to 65-year-old demographic. So you talk about getting older. You talk about stuff they relate to. You know, I was picking on a guy the other night. <laughs> when he said his age, I wanted to go, why? Right. Why do you look like that at that age? Because this guy was like 15 years younger than me. You know, and it's like people just, they don't realize, and you're somebody that does. I mean, you know. Right, sure. You're a professional wrestler. At least you were all the years. So, you know about training your body and staying yes. in shape and looking good. And trust me, I'm not built like you guys, but I look normal. You know what I mean? Because I'm in the gym four or five days a week. As you know, the mind tells the body what to do, not the other way around. So I'm asking this guy, like, how old he is. And he goes, yeah, I just turned 50. And I'm going, you look like you're 73 years old. Yeah. You just gave up from in here, and it shows throughout your body, and I just destroyed him for that. <laughs> you know, I was on the phone with with a friend of mine it, last night. He's a he was at Disneyland. Oh man, number one, I remember leaving Disneyland with my second son. I got two sons. And I remember I had him over my shoulder, you know, and I remember looking at my friend slash personal protection person at the time, you know, because the son I'm talking about is now 29. Mm -hmm. But he was, I don't know, he was four, five, whatever. And I had him over my shoulder and we're leaving Disneyland. And I look at Club Soda Kenny. You might have heard that name before. And I look at him and I go, 
Do you know the beauty of this, Kenny? Is that I'll never, ever have to come back here again for the rest of my right. life. <laughs> so last night, my friend has an eight-year-old daughter, and they flew there. They do it every year for Halloween, which I could have never done that either. Mm -hmm. So we're FaceTiming at Disneyland, and he's showing me the people. And I'm just like, ugh, like, what is that? These people are wheeling strollers. You know, they're young. They're in their 20s, 30s. And I'm going, why would you just let it all go just because you had a kid? You know, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, it's just awful. You know, look, enough things happen to us through life with even taking care of yourself. So why not at least do the best you can with what you got type of thing? Well, I think too, Dice, is that everyone gets older, right? But as soon as I see you, that's Andrew Dice Clay. Someone sees me that used to watch me 20 years. Oh, that's Chris Jericho. Exactly. We still, you, you go to the Stones, it's Mick, it's Keith. They look like themselves. They didn't go completely out of, out of the line. Exactly. You know, is that a show business thing? I mean, it's something I think everybody should, should try and do. You know what? I think it's just a personal thing. Mm -hmm. I was taught years ago, like I said, how to exercise. And I learned from this guy, George Pipsik. Okay. Pipisic. Mm -hmm. He was from Czechoslovakia, this guy. So he won Mr. Czech four years in a row. And when steroids came into the business of bodybuilding, he quit the business because he was built. This guy was like Tarzan. And I met him when he was 45 years old. And he just didn't want to get involved that way. So he moved to America, built every machine in his private gym because he was also a machinist. And... His claim was sly because he trained them for all the Rockies and the Rambos. Even he was even in the the Rocky where where Stallone fights the Russian mm -hmm. and he goes to Russia and this guy's like around the cabin chopping wood, you know, yeah, all that. So he was in the movie a little, but he taught me because we all have different bodies, you know, different types of body. He taught me how to train myself for the type of body I have. And I've always stuck to it. When when I get like a young 30-year-old trainer coming to me in the gym going, you know, you get, you know, they try to sell themselves to right. you. I go, why don't you try doing what I do first? And we'll see who needs the workout. <laughs> because what I was taught for me, I do an unbelievable amount of repetitions. You know, if I'm doing... Let's say you're working triceps, three different exercises. Yeah. So I do sets of 21. That's over 180 reps mm -hmm. in a matter of minutes. It's not like doing four or five. I'm not trying to get gigantic. Because of my body type, I try to stay leaner. Then you got the real skinny guy trying to be a muscle man. You know, it's a different kind of workout. So he really taught me. He taught a lot of people, you know, Sally Field. Uh, hmm. He turned, I forgot what her name was. It was Springsteen's first wife. Was it Julianne Phillips? Oh, yeah. And she wound yeah. up with a TV series, yeah. Sisters. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She got so addicted to going to George, she would go six days a week. I've never seen anything like it since. 
I've seen girls that, that are ripped and a muscular. This girl was shredded. I mean, I never saw anything like it. You know, even when Sly would come in there, he'd look at her and goes, oh, Julianne, you've been through it, huh? You know? <laughs> but George was the best, and he really, you know, and you'd have to shake his hand at the end of a workout, and you'd have to squeeze, let's see who wins the handshake, and I was always <laughs> the one on my knees going, please let go. <laughs> yeah. That's how powerful he was. You know, I, I know you do it too. You train, you, you look great, you know. I mean, you you worked with all the big boys, you know. Well, and, and once again, I think that there's a certain, not obligation, but maybe responsibility to our fan base to still stay in shape and still, when people come see your show, they want to see Dice, you know. And it's not 1989, it's 2023, but they still want to see Dice and go, man, he was great, he looked great, he was funny. That's kind of our responsibility, I find. I oh, I always say that. I go, uh, I'll just promote as I'm going along because I hate going. I'll be, you know, because I am coming. Where are you right now? What I'm in Tampa. I'm in Tampa, Florida. Okay. So I'm coming to, uh, I'm going back to L.A. to do the Wiltern Theater November 15th. That's right. Because I'm not in L.A. that much anymore. And I did a little thing at the comedy store. That sold out in, in a couple minutes. And so I was like, ah, you know, they turned away like a couple thousand people that night. So it was like, let's book the very first place I was in concert, which was the Wiltern Theater 35 years ago. And that's like where I became friends, like with Billy Idol and Sly and mm -hmm. Guns N' Roses, especially, who I just wound up opening for recently again, you know, at the MetLife, which was <laughs> frightening and exhilarating and, you know, we're starting to go into bigger theaters again. And I think I'm heading towards that arena thing again, because nostalgia is so big. Right. And, and I'm not looking to get off track here, but of course of what I'm doing on, on my Andrew Dice Clay Instagram and Andrew Dice Clay TikTok and the way the numbers have been growing and how the fans are just eating up these street videos I'm doing where, where I just annoy people. I've become like the menace of New York City. <laughs> you know, it's just hilarious. But I did an album like that years ago called The Day the Laughter Died. Yeah. My biggest album, by the way. Everybody said the album was going to ruin my career because there's only a few people an unsuspecting crowd at Dangerfield's nightclub, me and Rick Rubin decided, all right, we've done the high-powered albums. Let's do the ultimate late-night set without even planning material. This double CD comes out after David Geffen himself and Mitzi Shaw that owned the comedy store said, this is going to ruin your career it just enhanced it. It came out on a Monday, and by Thursday, it was a gold album. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it has sold millions of copies. It's like comedians like Rogan and Bill Burr and, you know, all these guys. It's their favorite album. I don't think I ever really even listened to it. It's a double CD. People walk out on me. <laughs> so now I'm basically doing The Day the Laughter Died live in the streets of New York. I'm mm -hmm. bombing on the street. <laughs> I, I, I came over to a guy. I put it up today. 
you know, like I just try to think of what's going to annoy people. And it was really this older guy talking to a doorman. And I go, did you hear about the reboot of Frasier? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they rebooted that. And the guy go, oh, very good. Uh, you know, you, you need to walk away now. You know what I mean? Or we're going to get somebody to walk you away, that kind of thing. Right, right. I couldn't wait to get home to show my girlfriend the video. I go, that's how funny it is. And then you put that up and the fans go crazy. So it's like that concept of what I'm doing in the street is now transferred to ticket sales again. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Utilizing TikTok at this stage of your career is so smart because we've started doing that too, and it really makes a difference. I didn't even really know what TikTok is as far as how to do the videos, but you have the right person doing it. You just know we need this presence on TikTok. And like you said, that does lead to ticket sales. It's unbelievable how it works. But when it first started, I didn't know it's going to lead to ticket sales. See, even way before phones, I was always filming with the camcorders. Yeah. And doing all this goofing on people. I would actually film garbage runs where me and my sons would dump garbage illegally in LA in the dumpsters and I would cover it. I get angles of it was hilarious, all kinds of filming. But now with the phone, I get the instant gratification. I had to like reteach myself how to film. So I'm on the camera. People just love it. I can remember a long time ago, I was filming what I called the show at the comedy store. That's what I call it. But yet the show isn't on anything. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a long time ago. This is probably 25 years ago. And uh, Joe Rogan was still pretty new at the comedy store. I don't even think he had Fear Factor yet, you know. And he comes over to me one night and he goes, can I ask you something? I go, yeah. He goes, I see like you changed the lighting in the kitchen. You know, this is during business hours. I put like red and blue lighting so it's soft, the lighting. And he goes, what are you doing with the camera? I go, oh, no, it's, it's just the show, you know. And he goes, what show? I go, no, it's, you know, it's my show. It's, it's not actually sold anywhere yet. And he just started laughing. And... Don't you think within a couple of weeks, he's got a guy filming, however, not like the same type of thing, but almost like documenting his life. Right. You know, but I was working with all the new comics at the comedy store at the time that really looked up to me because my career had already happened in a bigger than life way. And you had guys like Bobby Lee and Ari Shafir and Steve Renazizi all guys that now have careers, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I make them all characters in what I called the show. And I just now and then I put up some of that footage on the phone. But I just always love filming. So this TikTok and 
Instagram, you know, it's it's just amazing for me, just as a creative thing. You know, plus the cameos, which do you do, you do cameo at all? I don't, but uh, I know obviously what exactly they are for sure. My cameos, I started doing that during the um, pandemic. What I, yeah, yeah, I call it the fungus. You know, <laughs> I don't. Wait one second. It's like you know, you hear the sirens. It's New York City, man. It's all yeah, right. It's New York City. So I started doing cameo during the uh, the pandemical because I needed to perform some. Right, right. You know, people on cameo were doing like a minute. I'm doing between like seven and 22 minutes. It's almost like a, an episode of my life. Yeah. And I would really just get into it, you know. You, you know, what's funny is that I had an internet show that I was doing just on YouTube with a couple of my friends from, from, from Canada, where I'm from, from Winnipeg. And we would have a special guest on every week, which was basically someone that we would just get a cameo from. And we got one from you and you were awesome. It's like one of our favorite cameos was Dice was Clay. Was it pretty long? It was long because some of these guys yeah. would give you 15, 20 seconds. You'd be like, like, I'm in showbiz. You're calling this shit in. Dice, however, you gave us opinions and you had no idea who we were. It didn't matter. It was just a fun. It was fun. Like, even if it's about, let's say it's Chris Jericho's birthday. So it would sort of start like this. I wouldn't even get into it. You know, I'd be like, <laughs> you're not even going to believe what I'm going through. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, for three, three days now, I'm asking her. You understand? <laughs> Get me the vanilla coffee. I need the <laughs> vanilla coffee. Every day she gives me a different kind of coffee. I know I know that's not what this is about, but if I give a direct order, why not just give me what I want? I go, look, I know you're the birthday boy. I know that's all that <laughs> matters to you right now. <laughs> And all I would suggest is forget about me, you know, get yourself some nice looking chick with a nice big pair of pig tits and a thong up her ass and bang your mozzarella fucking balls right against that fat ass. And blow out the candle, you know, lights out. That's a short version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whoever sends you the cameo goes, I could just see people going, I, I didn't write that to him. Yeah. He's just, but I would just go off and depending on my mood, depended on how long I still do them. Like with you, like how long have you been doing this? Like you went, you were up against everybody, mm-hmm. you know, like how long, how long ago? It's been over 30 years. I mean, I first started wrestling in 1990, basically when you first started becoming huge as dice around that time frame. Amazing. Right. So you yeah. work with, uh, all the guy, like uh, Stone yes, Cold. Yes, from Stone Cold to The Rock to Hogan to Cena to whoever it may be. Moxley, I've been through all of them, but that, that's are, once are again. Are you in touch? Do you still stay in touch with any of these guys? Are you friends with them? Or? It's one of those things when, when you work with guys for like something like that and you don't see them for a while. When you see them again, it's always like now the day has passed. You know what I mean? Yeah. You just pick up where you left you off. You pick up where you left off. Now, I was going to ask you when you were talking about Guns N' Roses at MetLife, you also opened for Guns N' Roses 30 years prior uh, at the Rose Bowl. Same type of thing? Or how did you get back in with them? Question one. This is the thing. This is the I got, I got a pretty big history with them. And um, just so even this whole arena thing again, I mean, I got a, a Zoom call tonight about going back into these places. 
Last time I did MSG was in 2000. I sold out the Beacon Theater and the Garden in the same week. You know, huge. I don't know, a couple months ago, one of my favorites, Bill Burr, is going to be at a, an arena in Newark, New Jersey. You know, I say to my girlfriend, I say, you want to go see Bill? I go, he's hilarious. He's one of my favorites. And I never even go to comedy clubs mm-hmm. anymore. I don't go see anybody. And, and I'm, I definitely don't go to arena shows. So I said, you know, let's go see him. I texted him because... You know, Bill has always been great about me and it says I was a big influence. So I basically let him know if it's going to be weird having me there, I just won't come because I know how comics are in front of other comics. I know how it was when Rodney Dangerfield would come to see me, who gave me the shot of a lifetime. You get like nervous. It's like, right. Oh, man, the pred. Now I got to be good. So he writes back. He wants me to come. Actually teasing my girlfriend all the way there, you know, in the car. I'm like, you know, I haven't done this in, you know, nearly two and a half decades. And she's like, you're not going on. You're going to see a show, you know. Ah, You know, I I just know the way. But I'm just goofing on her because I know I could get her. (laughs) She's gullible in that way. It's great. (laughs) The joke wound up on me because... The minute I walked in his dressing room, he came over and he was like, Dice, you're going to do some time tonight, right? (laughs) And I'm looking at him like, is he messing with me? Because that's, I'm not prepared to do that. Like, I'll do like 2,000 seats. Like, I'll be at the Golden Nugget. That might be about 3,000, okay? Right. But I haven't gone into arenas. I've been talking about it lately because... I never lost that burning inside me to perform. But I'm going, ah, you know, leave it alone. I would talk to my agents about it. It's almost like watching a a Rocky movie if you were living my life. So I go, what do you mean time? I'm not going to do any time. I go, I'll tell you what, maybe if you want, I'll introduce you, you know. He goes, do whatever you want, but I want you to go on stage. So now I got to go in another room and have my little nervous breakdown <laughs> and start figuring out, okay, what, what should I do up there? Because it's a huge, you know, sold out arena show. It's like 18,000 people, whatever. But the minute I walked up, you know, it just so happens Club Soda Kenny is also Bill Burr's road manager and security And Kenny's with me on and off all the years, so he knows how to introduce me. So he gives me this great intro, and the crowd freaks out. And now I'm on stage, and I realize I could do two hours of this. Not a problem, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, Bill don't know I've been up against shit, you know, like physically. He knows none of that. So that's one of the reasons I've held off of going into, like, really big theaters or arenas. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. 
Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, Dice, so tell us about Guns N' Roses. Now, with Guns N' Roses, I, I had a little something to do with helping to put that band back together. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't put them together, but I, I was part of it because my son, who's a drummer, my older son, would always say to me, like when he was 15, he's 33 now, he goes, you know you're the only one that could put that band back together. Because like I said, we became friends at the Wiltern Theater years ago. Right. I wound up, I think it was, uh, I'm not sure if it was 92 or 93, when Axel called me and said, you have to do the Rose Bowl with me. And I'm going, I'm not doing the Rose Bowl. I hardly do the arenas anymore because I get claustrophobic. He goes, no, Dice, you just got to look at the sky. You're going to be outside. Right. So I did the Rose Bowl with them, and it was an amazing night. This is decades ago. So now here I am in Australia. I don't know how many years. They've been on tour about seven years now, so it's about seven, eight years ago. And I never toured Australia, so I'm in Sydney, Australia. I'm on the roof of this hotel having breakfast, and my opening act, Eleanor Kerrigan, goes, is that Slash? And at that time, I still was smoking. So he's sitting out on a porch having a cigarette. I go over, and I go, hey, pal, you mind if I have a cigarette here? And he looks up, and he goes, Dice. And of course, we're happy to see each other. We hadn't in a while. And we start talking. And I go, what are you doing in Australia? You know, I told him I'm touring, you know, that I'm going to do this whole month long tour. And he goes, today at their football game, I'm going to play the uh, Star Spangled Banner. And I'm looking at this guy and I go, oh, that's big. (laughs) And he goes, what do you mean? I go. That, that you did a 17 hour flight to you, one of the greatest in the world, like ever. Right. This is what you're doing. And he goes, Well, you know, it's, you know, <laughs> I go, What is the reason, like, that you guys, you and Axel, can't, like, get it together after all these years? What? Because he showed up late sometimes. I go, One of the greatest front men, maybe even the greatest ever in the history of rock, him, Mick Jagger, David Lee. I mean, the greatest, you know. I go, so of course he showed up late. You don't want to work with him. Isn't rock and roll an all-night gig? You know. Right. (laughs) Then we wind up hanging out that same night after I did my concert. He did his, I watched him on TV playing this, whatever their Star Spangled Banner thing is. So now we're hanging out in the bar and we're talking. And I go into material. And he goes, you know what I love? You still have that real passion. I could tell by, by the way you're performing. I go, yeah, I love it. If I didn't love it, I wouldn't do it anymore. And when I get back to the States, my sons, they, they have a band called Still Rebel. So I called Duff and I said, hey, Duff, why don't you come see them? They're at this club on uh, Burbank Boulevard. So Duff comes with his wife that night. He loved him. He, he stayed through the whole thing. 
And now the next day we wind up at a Starbucks talking about GNR. Like what has to happen now to put this band back together? And the road manager is like, well, you know, Slash and Axel are always condescending towards each other on Twitter, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, let's get some nice tweets out there. And Slash did it. He he put out like how, forgot what they were, but basically saying Axel's just the greatest front man. Right. Yeah. That was it. Band back together. I was at the Troubadour like seven years ago when they did their very first show together in this club in L.A. on Santa Monica Boulevard. It was so exciting. And just to see them together again, they've been going ever since. So I do this thing with Bill Burr, which was frightening enough. But then I get a text from the road manager on a Monday night, just a few weeks later. Congratulations. They had the pretenders opening. This is just when I did it with them years ago, it was Metallica, then myself, and then GNR. So they wanted me to go on right before them, you know, after the pretenders. I was afraid, you know, like it's so many people. Right. There had to be like close to 80,000 people there. But on Monday night, I got that text. It was nearly midnight. And I was, my girlfriend's like, you know, you don't have to do this. And I looked at, I go, but that's the thing. I do have to do it. Right. Yes, you do. I get it. And I'm, you know, I write like Bill Burr a text cursing him out going, you started this whole thing again. (laughs) You lit the fuse for this. Now I can't stop. Yeah. So now I'm booking bigger shows. And let me ask you this, Dice, just to interject there. How is it opening? Like you mentioned, the, the, the band goes on, then you go on, then Guns N' Roses. What's the vibe for you knowing that this is a rock and roll crowd? Obviously, you're a rock and roll comedian. Is there a different approach, though? Are you worried that people are going to go like, what the fuck is this guy doing here? Do you own it? Listen, they could have introduced me and it could have been crickets. Right. <laughs> they don't know I'm there to people. They're there for GNR. They're not thinking about me. But when they introduced me, the rush I felt once again, now it's like, I'm telling you, close to 80,000 people. Yeah. They exploded. That's the scary part because we're Andrew Dice Clay and there's nothing. You can hear a pin drop in in the state. Like, (laughs) why? It wasn't that, though. That's cool. That's cool. And honestly, this side of the country, New York, you know, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. I mean, you know, when I was doing the arena shows, I would do hundreds of them, you know, up till around 95. I did over 300 arenas, you know, I'd been through it, you know, the, you know, the Rose Bowl in LA with Guns N' Roses. I did the craziest things ever. So again, when I walked out, and, I, and, and people could see the walkout if they go to the Instagram. I put it up there. Can't put the material. Yeah. You understand? You want people to see it. But once I felt that crowd, it's like your chest goes out to here. It's like, let them have mm-hmm. it and don't hold back. Because I don't. You know, that's how I perform. I just, you know, whatever's on my mind, I just say it. I don't care. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal 
and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I wanted to ask you this. What's comedy like for you in 2023 in comparison to 1995? Obviously, everybody's so f***ing sensitive now. Can you still be dice and not have to worry about people coming after you? Yeah, and I think the audiences really appreciate that. You know, like I say, the materials change. I mean, I still give them, like, I'll give them the Mother Goose stuff. (laughs) Because, I mean, other comics have told me that that bit, it's a signature bit, right? Yeah. And most comics have a signature bit, but the audience doesn't do it with them. See, when I do those Mother Goose poems, these audiences, they do it with me to this day. And they do it as if they just were getting to know me from 40 years ago. Right. That's how they do the bit. You know, so I'll always like close it out with that. But other than that, it's modern day material. I don't want to go into any of the material, but the other night I was in uh, Pennsylvania. You know, people are always, you know, the kids, the kids, the kids. You know, and I'm not a kid freak, okay? Like, I love my sons. I actually find it creepy when adults are just talking about children all the time. (laughs) So I come out there and I decide I'm going to do this whole new bit about kids and having kids. Because I started picking on this guy in the front and he was a heavy guy. And he he was a guy, 52 years old, that looked a lot older, coarser the weight, that right. face is hanging, the whole fucking thing, you know. <laughs> so I look at him, I go, let me tell you your story. And I start talking about him with the wife, you know, about when he met her, about how beautiful it was, how in love, in a day and age with his rotary phones, you got to get past the phone, all this stuff, everything leading up to, and then here comes the baby, the end of the relationship, the baby. (laughs) Did you bring the baby's binky? You understand? I go, and, and don't get me wrong, I go, I like kids till there's one kicking the back of my seat on a plane until <laughs> the father isn't telling the kid to shut the fuck up. And then I first build off of that and I go berserk on what I call like a lesser man today. Because when I'm in the street, you know, and, and now I'm not even doing material and I see, how can I put it? Like these assholes on the little scooter. <laughs> The little two-wheel scooter, (laughs) and you're 45 years old, you know, with your plaid shirt and your backpack, you fucking asshole. (laughs) Can't walk down a block anymore. That's no good to walk. Yeah. Got to come 40 miles an hour down the fucking street. It it just looks like, like not even a man, like a big child. Now, where's a kid going to ever respect that father, you know? Right. He's wearing his... Spider-Man backpack, 
You might have four kids at home, you asshole. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I take this in as a comic and go, destroy them on stage. Just let them know what you really think of them on stage. When when they get on a plane, remember how you used to get dressed up to take a flight? Sure. And today it's like people are almost like in their not even good pajamas, like their shitty pajamas. Or shorts. No shorts on planes. Shorts. Shoes and socks off, and they got their foot on the armrest yes, in front of them. That happened to me the other day. But, <laughs> but that, see, now, if you were in the crowd, you just start laughing, going, that happened to me the other day. Only I'm saying it in a comedic way. Right. Because when you tell people stuff that they could relate to, but only with that funny slant to it, it gets the laugh. So I had the crowd rolling on a bit that wound up about 12 minutes long that I've never done before. Mm -hmm. That any other comic would work on it in the comedy clubs, the showcase clubs for about six months. And I know myself so well on stage, I know I could just go out there and just slay with it. And that's what I was doing. And so I go into this whole thing and then I wait, they, they applauded the whole bit. Then I look at that guy in the front, that 52-year-old fucking asshole of a human being, and I go, and that is how you became this. <laughs> and the crowd <laughs> went nuts again <laughs> because they forgot it started out by me talking about him. Right. I go, and that's why you're in the front row of a dice show because you know I can't help you. <laughs> and, you know, that's just how I do my shows. So, yeah, I don't hold back. I don't, I don't, I don't care what goes on in the world as far as all the canceling and with comics. And it's, it's the dumbest thing. I just, you know, I was the first one canceled. Right. You know. That's how the first round of Dice ended, right? Well, no, because I, I came through it. You know, I didn't stop. You know, it was that simple. You might be talking about that. I, I got a little choked up a long time ago on the Arsenio Hall show. And I got choked up because every time I do his show, who's Dice? Who's Andrew? I really just want, and I had Ford Failing coming out. I just want the people to know that I'm this hard, that I broke my ass, basically, to make something out of myself. And I was so real about it. I started getting choked up. And the only way to get out of that was to get really into character with the cigarette around the head, the whole thing. <laughs> but it, it, when people listen to the words, it was all about you can do that with your life. Right. But, yeah, no, I got banned from MTV for life, which that ban was lifted the minute I got Entourage. You know, what were you banned for life for? Because I came out on the MTV Awards I gave them like one of their most exciting moments ever. Oh, you'll like this. Because we all grew up loving Dick Clark, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm going to be a presenter. I'm supposed, not a presenter, I'm going to introduce Cher. And it was great because Cher would come to my concerts in L.A. all the time. So now I'm going to get to introduce her, you know, and she's going to come out singing, you know, Turn Back Time. As I'm behind these fake doors that are going to open, Dick Clark comes over to me. I can't even believe I'm meeting him, by the way. 
because I'm watching him since I'm a little kid. It's Dick Clark, right. who everybody loved. He goes, okay, listen. And Arsenio Hall is hosting the show. He goes, if you got to stretch for time, I'm going to send Arsenio over and you'll play around with him. Now, I already saw two comics come out. I don't need to name their names. I don't dislike these guys, but nobody cared that when they were out there. Yeah. You know, a friend I was with goes, well, you could either be a teardrop or you could be a tidal wave. Right. And I was already cooking. You know, my career had taken off. I'm already selling out arenas. So now it's just me and Dick Clark. And he's going, so if Arsenio comes over, you'll play around till I give you the cue that share is ready. And I go, no, 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 no. I go, I, I'm, I'm not doing that because my career is happening. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to bomb at the Universal Amphitheater in front of 6,000 people. Right. I go, you can't tell me that now. And he goes, well, I'm the producer of the show. I go, I don't give a fuck who you are. <laughs> you know, don't, you know, he goes, don't talk to me like that. I go, don't fucking tell me how to, you're not my father, okay? And, and all of a sudden, they start in, <laughs> Chris, <laughs> they start introducing me, <laughs> you know, and the doors open and you could see it that when I come out on the MTV Awards, I'm angry. <laughs> you know, I always had an expression, nobody fucks with dice, dice does the fucking. Mm -hmm. So you think you're going to tell me how I'm, what I'm going to do out there? So now I light the cigarette. I go into the material. I'm talking about fat girls going, you don't know where the tits begin, the belly ends. It's like one big glop of shit, right? <laughs> and you got to understand, this isn't HBO. You know, they call it cable, but any house can get it. And then I go into the, the, the Mother Goose thing and the poem that got me that I go in concert after I go uh, would be Georgie Porgy putting in pie jerked off in his girlfriend's eye. When her eye was dry and shut, Georgie fucked that one eyed slut. <laughs> oh, and the fucking place is going nuts. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> now I just introduced because Arsenio gave me a cue. I got ladies and gentlemen, the last Puritan share and the song starts. They take me into I'm sure you've done this in your career where they take you into a press tent. Yeah, the press tent. Yeah. Listen to me here. Not one question was asked. Nothing was asked. And I must have went, if I went into one press tent, I went into five. Mm -hmm. Not one question the next day, every new, they weren't even talking about the winners of the awards. None of that. It was all about dice. Mm -hmm. You know, people are going, you believe it? You're banned for life. You know, I go, what do I care? I'm not a singer. <laughs> McConnell. What do I give a f <laughs> So instead of doing... Let's say I was doing like like where Bill Burr saw me. He saw me at um, the Centrum, the Boston Centrum. Instead of one night, three sold out. So now I'm doing like 80,000 people a week as a comedian. And the first comic to ever do anything like this. Okay. 
where all the comics back then comics hated each other. So they all just want you to bomb and end, <laughs> right? It, you know, so everybody's oh, he's done. He's finished. You know, they're saying I'm finished. I couldn't come up with names of tours quick enough. Uh, every country was offering me deals. I just didn't want to go to other countries. I didn't need to. Mm -hmm. So it, it was just absolute bedlam at my shows. The audiences, when I would tell a joke, they'd scream like if it was Elvis singing a song <laughs> rather than telling a joke. And that's why they would call it dice mania, <laughs> you know? Right. But what's funny is the very next day, this is why I'll always love Dick Clark when they had the big meeting. And I know about this meeting because Rick Rubin was there who produced my albums. Mm -hmm. And so they get this, all these top dogs of MTV together and they're all like, Dice is banned for life. He's never going to be allowed on MTV again. And Dick Clark, as calm as could be, Rick Rubin told me this. He goes, do you really want to do that? This guy's the biggest thing in the world today. Mm -hmm. Why would you want to ban him for life? I'd have him back next year. Good call, yeah. But that's why Dick Clark became the Dick Clark. Yeah, of that, course. You know, New Year's Eve and everything. He was a very, very bright guy. And when I think of that story, <laughs> I love the fact that I, have, I, I would say, oh, the, the best part of this fucking thing, <laughs> when I'm doing the act about the fat girls and, you know, the belly and the tits and the whole thing, he's trying to come after me that Arsenio had to jump him to stop him from getting on camera. And he tackled Dick Clark because Dick was going to tackle me. That's the career I've had. Yeah. And here we are again that, you know, tonight at seven, I'm having this whole conversation about the strategy. I'm with the same agents, you know, for all these decades it's huge, yeah. about just the building blocks of Dice back into Arenaville, you know, and I'm excited about it because I feel people are, are, are sick of, you know, everything having to be just boring. And I'm not because I already went through it. So I'm grandfathered in. I could say whatever. That's true. That's a great point. That's a great point. You don't even have to write anything. The world writes it for you. You know what I mean? Getting older writes it for you. You know, you know, when I'm on stage talking about, you know, you know, all the commercial, we used to see all kinds of commercials. Now everything is medical. Everything's medical. Every, every other commercial, do you have erectile a, a a, a disillusionment? Whatever the fuck it is. You know, I'm going, are you fucking kidding me? This is what we're watching on TV? Probiotics? What the fuck? <laughs> you know, nobody's going to want to fuck each other anymore. They're like, stop it. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Last few th things for you, Dice. You mentioned something earlier that I wanted to ask about. You mentioned that Rodney... Uh, Dangerfield was a big influence and a big help for your career. In what way? Rodney gave me the shot of a lifetime. Rodney 
was doing young comedian specials. I'll never forget. So I auditioned for the one that aired in 88. It was called Nothing Goes Right. And it was properly titled because nothing has. <laughs> <laughs> but so Rodney would put on, but Rodney's responsible for so many comedians' careers taken off from Tim Allen to Roseanne to Kennison to Robert Schimmel to Dom Irera, you know, so many comics. He'd put on like six, seven comics on HBO every year. He did these young comedian specials. So I do an audition at the comedy store and Rodney was funny because, you know, after you do the audition, he's hanging out back and I, I want an answer. I knew I did great in front of the crowd, but he's the guy saying you're on. So I come over to him out back. I'm like, so Rodney, you know, what'd you think? And he's like, okay, man, you're all right. Okay. <laughs> I go, no, but I'm just saying like, did I did I make the cut, basically? And he's going, okay, man, everything's cool, all right? <laughs> You're wild, all right, man? Where are you from? I go, no, I'm from Brooklyn, but, I, you know, I really just want to know, you know, if I'm going to be on, you know, I'm trying to be as respectful as I can because I don't know Rodney well. You know, he's Rodney Dangerfield. He's a, he's a megastar, you know? Right. And I'm going... No, but am I on the... Okay, man, everything's cool, all right, man? I go, Rodney, am I on the fucking show? That's all I need to know, and I'll walk away. And he goes, you're going to be okay, man. Never said yes, but yet, you know, the next day I got a call from my... You're on the show, and and I prepared like nobody from everything I was wearing to what I was saying. Like, I didn't care if I went on at the comedy store and there were two or three people in the audience at two in the morning, I'm going to rehearse what I'm going to do. Right. I'll tell you the truth. After I did the first taping, because we did two nights right here in Manhattan at his club, Dangerfields. After I did my first set, you know, my father was there, who I always called my manager, my mother, you know, my sister. I come over to my father and I go, it's done. Biggest comic in the world. It's just got to air. Like I knew how I affected the audience and I played the cameras the right way. I was totally prepared. It's like, if you're going to give me a shot to hit a home run, that's what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. So he was actually the very first big shot. And I never really even needed my own special to go into the arenas. I mean, my first arena show went on sale before my before my special, I think, which sold out in less than 40 minutes, something like that. Last two things, uh, Dice. You're talking about going to the Will Turn on November 15th. It's a big show. And now you're talking about a possible return to the arenas. Is, is the world ready for Dice uh, back in the arenas again? Well, this is what I'm saying. This is what Instagram and TikTok and Facebook is telling me. It's what's going on with the fans, mm -hmm. especially, you know, when you do a show like a Guns N' Roses show and you got all those tens of thousands of people filming and putting it out there for the world to see. Now, all I'm seeing is welcome back. We knew you'd be on top again, all those kind of comments. So I've always had a really good gut feel. Now that I've proven the biggest thing that I needed to prove was 
do I have the guts to face him again? Right. You know, and that's what that night with Bill Burr taught me. Like, you did it. Like, my girlfriend the next day goes, you see, you can do it. You don't have to think about it. You can face those crowds. So it's an exciting time again. And now with with the video thing, there's there's a show written called The Famous Face that's being pitched to all these companies now of the stuff going on in the street. So that'll wind up a whole show. Well, you've had the diversity and the longevity for for over 35 years. Last question I want to ask you is from the first time I ever saw you as Crazy Larry on different strokes. (laughs) It's amazing. One of my all-time favorite lines, what's he going to do, stab me with one of his sideburns? (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. Tell me a little bit about that because I've been thinking about that my whole life since I first saw you. Crazy Larry. All right, so Crazy Larry wound up two episodes, not one. Yeah. You know, I just auditioned for this little part because the acting thing was the thing I really cared about. It wasn't even stand-up at that point. Mm. I was using stand-up and stages to hone my craft as an actor rather than going to acting school once a week. So I go on an audition, different strokes. All of a sudden, the producers just go, okay, that's great. Go to wardrobe. (laughs) I'm like, I got it? Okay. (laughs) Now my agents at the time forgot who they even were. They call me a few weeks later and go, they wrote an episode for Crazy Larry. I go, you're kidding. So what had happened, and I don't have all the details. So my second episode of Crazy Larry is where Crazy Larry now falls in love with uh, Dana Playtown. Yeah, with Kimberly, yeah. <laughs> you know, with Mr. Drummond. And uh, you, you, you know it. You've seen it. Right. So what had happened is they were going to try to spin Crazy Larry off into my own show. You know, the, the creators and producers of that show. And from what I understood, it was going to be three guys. And I was like, you know, one of the three guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know who the other two actors were or where their careers went, but one of them fell out of it and that ruined the deal at the time. It was funny that when my career now took off years later, as Dice, as you know him, you know, I'd run into, I forgot the producer's name. It was the main producer of Different Strokes. He goes, let me tell you something. If you ever want to do that show, it's right in the drawer next to my bed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like he loved that what he wrote as a series, but I really wasn't looking for that. You know, I never really wanted to be the sitcom guy. I've done a few, but it, it was never the dream. It was always movies. Well, it was a great, like I said, first impression that I've never forgot. And it's been great talking to you, Dice. It's exciting to hear all the Same cool stuff here. you got going on, man. And I look forward to seeing you in the future at the Wiltern or at the arenas or wherever you end up, man. Thank you so much. And I I, I look forward, we got to meet. You know, it's like I'm getting to meet a lot of new people that I didn't know before through this whole, uh, you know, the whatever this is. And then it's like I want to meet them and hang out. Yeah, yeah. You're a very cool guy, you know. Well, thanks, man. Thank you for having me on. And hopefully we do meet soon, you know. We'll make it happen for sure, man. It's always cool when you meet somebody that you're a fan of and then you become on neutral ground. So you got it. Cheers, man. Thanks, Dice. 
I'll see you. All right, buddy. Be well. You too.